not to worship our country and its freedoms, but rather to consider, consider another country, a far country, and the eternal freedom that exists for all those who are citizens of that land. See, this morning, we look to Jesus to learn about this freedom. And in John chapter 8, Jesus talks to us about freedom. And he says this, So Jesus said to the Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been slaves of anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would give us ears to hear this morning eyes to see. Lord, help us understand what Jesus is trying to say to us this morning. Help your servant as I try to communicate that. May the Spirit of God do the work that I cannot do. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Here in John chapter 8, Jesus is speaking, and he's speaking to a group of Jews, some of which include Pharisees who do not readily agree with Jesus on about anything. In chapter 8, he is busy explaining who he is. He's explaining that he is the light of the world. He's explaining to them that he is the son of man. He's explaining to them that that they they must believe in him. They must believe in this this person, this, this Jesus, whom they don't believe in. But by verse 30 in chapter 8, we find that after he had said these things, many believed in him. The passage that we just read, verses starting in verse 31, is Jesus' response to those people who had just believed. He's clarifying what it means to believe, what it means to abide, what it means to to have freedom. He, He speaks of the nature of what a true disciple is. He speaks of the nature of true slavery. And he speaks of the nature of true liberty. In verses 31 and 32, Jesus talks about the nature of true disciples. And he says to those who had believed, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. We find that the character of a true disciple is that they abide in the word. They abide in Jesus's word. The implication here is that there are those who may believe, meaning they have maybe an intellectual assent to knowing who God is, or who Jesus is, yet not truly know him. And this is evidenced by their lack of abiding, or their lack of perseverance. One commentary says this, to hold to Jesus, or we could say to abide in Jesus' teaching, is not a reference to doctrinal purity, to just believing all the right things, but a commitment to put Jesus' teachings into practice something very different, isn't it? 
something very different than just to believe things with our, with our head versus with our hands. In John chapter 15, just a few chapters later, Jesus talks about the, the vine and the branches. And he talks about what it looks like to abide in him. He writes these words, I am the, vine, the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit is taken away, and every branch that does not bear fruit he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of, of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit on its own unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is who bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is communicating to us that the way to show, to demonstrate what a true disciple is, is the one who abides in him, the one who follows him. See, abiding with Jesus follows believing on Jesus. This is the, the progression of discipleship. John MacArthur says, Perseverance in obedience to the Scripture is the fruit or the evidence of continuing faith. Perseverance in obedience is the fruit of, or the evidence of, continuing faith. Jesus goes on in verse 32 and says, And you will know the truth. See, the privilege of the true disciple of Christ is they will know. They'll know the truth. Jesus says in John chapter 10, My sheep hear my voice, I know them, or I, they follow me, and I know them. How will a sheep ever follow a voice that he does not know? Implication is that the sheep know the voice of their master. Thirdly, we see that these two things, the character and the privilege, lead to freedom. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth in what? And the truth will set you free. The implication here is this, is that apart from knowing the truth found in the word of God, you are not free. You're in bondage. That's what Jesus is saying. Bondage from what? Enslavement of sin, its power, and its penalty. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. Secondly, we see the nature of true slavery in verse 33. They answer Jesus. Jesus is telling them that they're, they're, they're in slavery. And their response is, what? We are the offspring of Abraham. We have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? The Jews respond by saying, our spiritual heritage, right? We, are, we have a spiritual heritage. Doesn't that equate to spiritual freedom? See, they were putting their trust in, in who they were because of who their great-great-great-grandfather was. See, this is a real danger today for us. For many of us who have grown up in Christian homes, with Christian heritage, and even those of us who have grown up in quote-unquote Christian cultures, who miss the point of seeing our own bondage to sin, we see the freedom that others exhibit. We see the freedom of our, our land, and we might think that automatically, somehow, that means that we are free. Somehow, that automatically atones for our sins without a personal repentance and faith. 
Secondly, they believe that because they've, they've, uh, they've never been slaves of anyone, that their personal freedom might mean spiritual freedom. Uh, these Jews viewed themselves as free. That's what they thought. How could you tell us that we're in bondage? We've never been enslaved. Surely they meant they had a personal sense of freedom, because if we looked at the history of the Jews, right, clearly that's not true, right? And they would have known that too, certainly, but, but if you look back at the, the, the history of, of the Jewish people, they've, they've been in slavery for hundreds of years. They were in Egypt for 400 plus years. They were exiled in, in Babylon, and then Assyria and Greece and Syria and Rome. They spent a lot of time in bondage, didn't they? So only they could mean maybe they had a personal sense of freedom. Nevertheless, they did not consider themselves in bondage nor in danger of being in bondage of any kind. They didn't understand what Jesus was saying. And this actually happened a lot to Jesus. People not understanding what Jesus is saying. Right? You think of Nicodemus. In the story of Nicodemus, and he comes to Jesus, and Jesus says to him, you must be born again. And Nicodemus, a teacher, someone who knew the law, says, I have to be, go back into my mother's womb, right? Clearly that's not what Jesus meant, but there's, there's a disconnect. We look at when Jesus says to the people, the crowd, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part of me. People are like, this man is crazy. I'm loud here. And they, they left. They, just, they stopped following him. Or when Jesus says, I will tear down this temple and in three days I'll, I'll, I'll build it back up. People are like, this guy's a terrorist. What's he going to do? He's going to tear down the temple. How, can they, how could he ever do it, build it back up in three days? He didn't mean the physical temple, did he? Or even when he says, I'm the king of the Jews. Automatically, people think it's a political move. He's going to over, overturn Rome. That's not what Jesus meant at all. Jesus was often misunderstood, and he is again here in this passage. These individuals had ignorantly presumed that they were free. Be aware. I wonder sometimes if the freedoms that we enjoy may counterproductively cause us to see our deepest need for true, to not see our deepest need for true liberation from the greatest threat. John Piper has said that the most difficult place to raise a child is not in a, in a foreign country somewhere. It's not in the jungles of Africa. It's in America. And why? Why? Because it's so easy. Because of the mantra of, of this American dream. The idea that, that, that my life should be full of things. And I should have prosperity. And I should have wealth or, or health. So many have bought such a lie and sought to live their life for this quote-unquote American dream, which is nowhere found in the scriptures. See, here in a country that that prizes independence, so much so that we can think of our our life as a solo event. I don't need anyone. I don't need any help. Here where we are besieged by materialism and self-centeredness, in the abundance of things that, quite honestly, can be kind of an embarrassment if you go to other countries. Here where we live in our self-made universe, thank you, where we are the center of everything and life revolves around us, 
Now, surely that happens in other countries, I'm sure. But here we are in America. And I wonder if this is the America that even our forefathers imagined. But even if they didn't, I don't really care if they did or not. I wonder if this is the country that has even a slightest resemblance of the far country of which we await. I wonder if we know what it even means at all to be a citizen of another land. Please don't miss, please do not miss any of this as not appreciation for America. It is. But we must be very cautious of our patriotism and our faith. One writer says this, our nationalistic mixing of faith and state can make it difficult for us to see when the nation has gone wrong. It can also make it hard for us to know what to do when the nation has patently wandered from the truth. We must be careful not to identify in our own life, though we have many freedoms, whether or not we are, in fact, free. These people didn't see themselves as free because nationally they were free. Personally, they were free, and yet they were in bondage and did not know it. But rather than going on a history lesson, Jesus calmly continues his, his teaching into verse 34, where he says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. Jesus says this, Sin equals slavery. You think you're free, but let me tell you about what what true slavery is. True slavery is sin. The bondage of sin is what true slavery means. He does not mean the occasional lapse of sin when he talks about these sins. He is rather referring to the continuous habitual life of sin. What John, in 1 John, says this, verse, chapter 3, verse 4, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Then verses 8 and 9, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning since the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes sinning a practice. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Jesus is saying, there are those who are in bondage to sin, and all they can do is sin. 1 John 3 refers to as well. So who is the everyone who commits sin? Class, that would be everyone. Right, good. We all are there. At one point or another, we all find ourselves in this point where we recognize that we are, by nature, a sinner. And the scriptures tell us, Jesus himself, that we are in bondage because of it. None can do righteous. No one can do righteous. Romans chapter 3, verse 10. That's as true for these ancestors of, of, or these from the line of Abraham, as well it is for you and for the point Jesus is making is that, that sinners are incapable, unable to escape their sinful conduct. You can't do it. Can't do it. He's stressing this. He's pushing, pushing in on this. That sin has put us into bondage, which we on our own cannot get out of. The slavery to sin, this bondage, is far worse than it sounds. 
And quite frankly, it's far worse than we often think it. We might say that we have a sin problem or we sin often. That's putting it mildly. How about it's, it's something that leads to destruction and certain death and eternal separation from God? So yes, we, we do have a problem, but the scriptures even give more detail about this sin and this bondage. So what does it mean when Jesus says that you are a slave to sin? What does that even mean? It means that apart from Christ, we are in bondage. And here's what the Bible says about that. Isaiah chapter 64, 6 says that the one who is in bondage to sin is destitute of righteousness, unclean. Job 40, verse 4, says that they're vile. Psalm chapter 39, verse 5, says they're full of vanity. Romans chapter 5, verse 6, says that they're destitute of strength. John chapter 15, verse 5, says they're unable to do anything good for themselves. Isaiah chapter 61, 1, says they're destitute of freedom. Romans chapter 3, verse 10, says they're depraved. Timothy, Titus 3, verse 3, says they're bondservants of lust. 2 Timothy 2.16 says they're captive of the devil. Colossians 3.6 says they're sons of disobedience. Colossians 1.3 says they're completely dominated by Satan's power. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says they cannot receive God's truth. Romans 8.8 says they cannot please God. 1 Corinthians 6 says they cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Romans 7.18 says there's no goodness. Romans 3.11 says they are destitute of wisdom. Proverbs 22, 15 says they're full of foolishness. Isaiah 40, verse 29 says they're without power. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 19 says they're in the state of bondage. John chapter 8, verse 34 says they're completely under the dominion of sin. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 14 says they cannot cease from sin. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2 says they're a child of wrath. John chapter 8, verse 44 says they fulfill the lusts of the devil. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5 says they cannot think evil thoughts. John chapter 12, verse 39 says they cannot believe. And John chapter 6, verse 34 says they cannot come to Christ. Saying we're in bondage to sin is not a small problem. It is a massive problem that we cannot get ourselves out of. I don't quite care if we feel free today. The question is whether or not we are free today. And if you have not walked out yet, let me be clear. We are all this apart from Christ. This is a description of me before Christ. I was unable. I was vile. I was clean. I was depraved. I was a captive of the devil. That is talking about Mark Heron. We all sin. We all are or were once apart from Christ. We sin. Christian, non-Christian, we sin. And quite frankly, we continue to sin. Being a Christian doesn't mean you don't sin. It means you repent. That's the only difference between a Christian and a non-Christian when it comes to sin. It doesn't mean that a Christian doesn't sin. It means a Christian repents. And that's only because of the work of the Spirit in our life. On the other hand, A.W. Pink says, the life of the unregenerate man is one unbroken course of sin. This is what life is apart from Christ. It's what bondage looks like, whether you know it or not, whether you believe it or not. If we were to stop there, we would all be quite depressed today, wouldn't we? There is hope. And Jesus will get to it in just a moment. Verse 35 says, A slave does not remain in the house forever, 
the sun remains forever. Jesus says this, that the sun is greater than the slave. The sun is greater than the slave. The slave is, is only a, a, a temporary place in a family, while the sun is permanent. Jesus is illustrating this, this idea that physical descendants of Abraham do not, do not equal spiritual descendants. In fact, divine sonship is not a birthright for anyone. It actually is by grace through faith. Jesus continues to tell us about the nature of true liberty in verse 36. He says, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. That is a good word this morning. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So how would one be free? See, Jesus is going deeper than than mere physical freedom. It's not what he's always focused on. He's showing the bondage to sin. But he's saying there's freedom in Christ. Some of you may have had this struggle. Some of you might know someone who does. See, many outside of Christ imagine that coming to Christ is actually relinquishing your freedoms. Right? They're, they're coming under the restriction of God. Yet the irony is that the very position that that one fears, bondage, is the very position that they unknowingly live in. It's unbelievable. How could that ever happen? Because like you and me, they once were blind. We once were blind, and they are. Our hearts desires that God would open eyes, as he opened our eyes, as he opened the Apostle Paul's eyes, to see their bondage. See, they think they, they know freedom. They think they can do whatever they want to do, they think, apart from Christ. And yet their freedom is a mirage. Jesus' answer to where freedom comes from is in himself. It comes from him. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. The condition is the Son. The condition is Jesus. The condition is, is, is what's Jesus going to do. The only one who can truly free us is the Son. All and any other perceived freedom is false. The only way to be made free is Jesus. Free indeed, really free, is Jesus. One commentator says this, The hope for real freedom does not lie in the ancestry of Abraham, but in the actions of Christ. So what does this freedom mean? Again, A.W. Pink gives us a list of what it means to be freed. Being freed by the Son means that we are freed from the condemnation of sin, the penalty of the law, and the wrath of God. The the condemnation of sin, the penalty of the law, and the wrath of God. That's freedom. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is now no condemnation for those who are, what? In Christ. The wrath of God no longer resides on you. Wrath no more. No penalty of the law. Secondly, the freed person is freed from the power of sin. The power of sin. Sin has power. It has power. The bondage of sin. Secondly, we are freed from the power of Satan. We don't like to talk about that, but Satan has power. 
Satan controls things that, under God's sovereign hand, and yet he has power. We are freed from the authority of man. God is our ultimate authority. We are free to serve God. We are free to serve God. Some people think they're free to do whatever they want. No, no, no. Until we come to Christ, we are not truly free to serve God. We can't do it. Until we come to Christ, that is when then we are freed. Our wills are actually freed when we come to Jesus. Before Jesus, we are not freed. We are bound. There's no freedom apart from Christ. You don't have freedom of choice apart from Christ. You are bound. That's what Jesus is saying. So coming to Christ, now we have freedom to serve God. We have freedom not to follow the old nature, the old way. Jesus shows up, and now we don't have to sin. You don't have to. Christian, you don't have to sin. God has enabled you through his Spirit not to sin. You are freed to not sin. This freedom is in no way a license. It's not a license to live however you want. It's rather, and I love this word, an emancipation from sin and Satan. That's what this freedom is. So the question for us is, are we free? Are we free? These, these men and women thought they were free, these Jews. We come to verse 37, and we read these words. I know that you are, that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. Jesus is recognizing that, okay, they they are physically the offspring of Abraham, yes, but that does not make them spiritual offspring of Abraham. See, no one can claim God as their father, says Pastor Scotty Smith. No one can claim God as their father who won't have his son as Savior. No one can claim God as Father who will not have His Son as their Savior. It's a dividing point. It is a dividing point for those who know Jesus. Jesus is identifying their contrasting response to Him. They say they're of Abraham, and yet they don't believe Him. Clearly, they're not the spiritual offspring. Clearly, they're not believing his word, and they're evidencing that by obeying someone's, uh, some other word. And we read down a little bit further, we find out that Jesus, Jesus calls it out, doesn't he? And he says, they have another father, and their father is the devil, in verse 44. He says, you are, your, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. If our father is not God, Jesus says, then our father is of the devil. Strong words. Strong words for sure. But do you know that you're free today? Do you know that? See, Jesus is exposing the Jews here of their real need for freedom from bondage, to see their sin, to to cut through the the facade of, of religion, to get to what matters most, and to declare what true true freedom even is. All the freedoms in this world cannot make us free apart from Christ. It is only through the Son. This commentator says this, the only release from bondage of sin is made possible by the atoning death of the Son who made propitiation for our sin, who made satisfaction 
of God's wrath on our sin. That's the only way this works. In fact, for freedom is why Jesus came. Do you know that? That's why Jesus came. He came to make you free. He didn't come to give more bondage to you, to give more duty and rules and regulations to you. He came to, uh, he came to fulfill the law. He came to free you from sin and Satan. He told us about freedom, yes, but he, as the Messiah, brought freedom. It was prophesied in Isaiah chapter 61, where he says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and open the prison for those who are bound. Isaiah prophesied of the one who would come and do that. Jesus shows up, and he quotes this prophecy in Luke chapter 4, where he says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recover uh, recovering the sight of the blind is set liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And who are those captives? You and me are those captives that he has come to proclaim freedom for. How? Through his death, his burial, and his resurrection for us. Jesus has come to make you free indeed and to live in that freedom. He wants you to live free Apart from him, we are unable to make ourselves free. So the invitation for you today is to receive this freedom. How so? You come to Jesus, recognizing him as the Lord that he is, the son who makes us free indeed. If the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. How do we get free? We get the son. How do we get the son? Through repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. Come to Jesus, recognizing you're a sinner in need of a Savior, recognizing your bondage. How could you ever recognize that on your own? The Spirit of God shows you. May he do that this morning for each of us who needs to come. Father, would you come and free us today? For those who are, are still in bondage, this morning. Those who maybe don't, don't, don't know another way, God, I pray this morning that your spirit would open their eyes, cause them to see the reality of their sin, the weight of their sin, as you did for me many years ago, and that they would in faith respond repenting of their sin and believing. And Father, may they know this day not only what it's like to live in a, a free country, but live in the freedom of Christ, freed from the bondage of sin and Satan. Thank you for the Son and his cross work for us. May we never get over it. For those of us who have come, who have received the Son, Father, may you cause us to be so aware of any willfulness to go back into slavery of sin, to allow sin to dominate our life in any way. There's sin we need to repent of this morning. God, we pray that, that we would do just that, knowing that you are a God who loves and forgives. 
But Father, we pray that you would. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing.